Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Do you and I know that our God is no ordinary God? Do we know it in our own actual personal lives? Have we actually experienced that in our lives? Dreams. Experts say that we all have them, but most of us take a little notice of them. In fact, studies have shown that we forget 90% of our dreams within the first minute of waking up. But what if you kept having the same dream night after night? Wouldn't you want to know what the dream meant? Wouldn't you wonder if there was some significance to it? God can use dreams. By the way, he, he still does it today. I don't know when he does and how often he does. I can tell you some stories of things I've heard. But I'm telling you, God can use dreams to communicate a message to someone that he desires to do so. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our series entitled, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. And today we're continuing in chapter 2 and the story of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In the first part of chapter 2, we hear of the king's dream and his demands for his wise men to tell him the dream and its interpretation. When they are unable to do so, the king orders the execution of all of the wise men in Babylon. When Daniel hears of what's happened, rather than run and hide in fear, Daniel goes to the king and asks him for some time so that he could interpret the dream. And with a little quiet confidence, Daniel and his friends go before the Lord to seek the answer to the king's demands. God answers their prayers, and Daniel is ready to reveal to the king his dream and the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar now knows that Daniel's, listen to me, that Daniel's God is no ordinary God. Today we're picking up the story in verse 36 as Daniel begins to share with the king what God has shared with him. And what he shares has implications for all of us. We're glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. We are in a Daniel series. We're working our way through the book of Daniel. We're not in any hurry. Uh, We're in chapter 2 and uh, this is about the fourth week, I think fourth or fifth week we've been in. We've got to Daniel 2, and that's okay. We're taking our time because uh, the Word of God is not anything that should necessarily be rushed through, right? Say, right, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll answer to anything. Y'all just call me. I'll, I'll answer. Yeah, anybody, y'all ever have dreams? Well, that's, that's a, uh, I, mean, I mean, like, that's a silly question, especially based on what I'm about to show you. Uh, but, I mean, you know, nighttime dreams, you'd say, well, I, I think I did, but I forgot what they were. Uh, dreams are an interesting phenomenon. I, I did some research, you know, because we're in chapter two and, you know, we talked, we started into it last week and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon has this dream and, you know, so I was just fooling around and looking at some stuff about dreams. Dreams are, are, are really a very fascinating thing. Freud believed that dreams were a uh, result of some unfulfilled longing or desire uh, in a person's life. Some scientists believe that dreams are the brain's way of uh, dealing with processing the huge amounts of data that we take in in a single day, and, and we, we do. Some studies suggest that dreams are simply a, a byproduct of what's called REM sleep or, or rapid eye movement sleep, which is the, the deepest level of sleep that uh, we uh, enjoy. I'm a big fan of REM sleep. I like, I like going there. <laughs> I came across some, uh, some 
statistics about dreams. Now, there were, there was, listen, there was a ton. I'm telling you, there are so many dream websites out there. I had no idea how many studies there were and all this stuff about dreams. But I came across just a few that I wanted to share with you uh, this morning. A couple of them really don't have any to do with dreaming, but we'll save those for the end. Um, here's one of them. Every human dreams. There are tons of people who can't remember their dreams when they wake up, but they still get them. That's what they say. They say, because I, I, I say that, I don't dream very much. Uh, at least I don't think I do, but they say that I do. In fact, uh, let's go on. We'll look at another one. Uh, human beings spend roughly around six years of their lifetime dreaming. Now, um, it's just talking about the sleep t- kind of dreaming, not, you know, daydreaming or like, oh, I, I, I wish I was a rock star or, you know, whatever. I'm talking about sleep, six years of our lives. People who suffer from a personality disorder lack dream activity. So I'm not going to say anymore that I don't dream because... <laughs> I, that's, gonna, that's not going to look well, um, but that's what they say. Our brains tend to be more active when we sleep than we're awake. <laughs> I, I've known some people that I'm pretty sure that's true. That's, <laughs> I, uh, okay. Uh, humans, look at this. Humans tend to have around three to seven dreams a night. We dream around two to three hours a whole night. Do you all know that? I could have sworn it was just about 30 seconds before I woke up that I had that dream. That's what they say. 90% of the dream is lost the first minute we wake up. I can testify to that. I don't know about y'all. Not, at least 90% of it, it within the first minute of waking up. Drug withdrawal can cause more intense dreams. Did y'all know that? I'm, I'm pretty sure drug usage can cause more intense dreams as well. But that's a whole other story. Now, going to drug withdrawal can cause more intense dreams, and people who also quit alcohol and smoking experience heavier dreams and nightmares. How about this one? It's impossible to dream when you're snoring. I, I did not know that, but that's, that's, what they, that's what they say. I don't know who they are, but they, they're out there. It's impossible to dream when you're snoring. Now, here's one I have a, tr- a problem with. Babies don't dream of themselves until they reach the age of three. Now, how do, you, how do they know that? How did they, did they survey all three-year-olds and say, okay, when did you, I, I don't know how that, that's, but that's what they say. Don't dream of themselves until they're three. More women than men experience deja vu in their dreams. More women than men experience deja vu in their dreams. People who experience sleep paralysis hear voices and see strangers in their rooms. Uh, what else have I got? Uh, nightmares happen more uh, to kids than adults. Um, blind people dream. Sight-impaired people dream. Their dreams are auditory if they were born blind. If they became blind at an early age, they still dream of what they remember. I, I didn't uh, know that. Let's listen to this one. The colder your house is, the worse your dreams are. They say that if your room is at an average temperature, you have better sleeps. So turn your thermostats up, people. You will sleep better. Now, these last two don't really have anything to do with dreams, but I just thought they were interesting. Uh, Here's one of them. Your body burns more calories sleeping than it does in the daytime. I do not believe that. I don't care what they say. Do y'all believe that? What am I going to the gym for? It's a new new diet program. That's right. You want to lose weight? Go to sleep. that's, That's what they say. And here... Here's the, here's the last one. Catch this one. If you avoid your sleep for more than 10 days, you will die. Did you know that? Now I was thinking, who were the college kids they hired for this study? You know, 
All right? We're going to see how long it takes for you to die by keeping you awake. Day eight, still alive. Day nine, still alive. Day up. Now, I don't even know if it's possible to stay awake for 10 days, but that's what they say. If you avoid sleep for 10 days, you will die. So, there you go. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's a lot of stuff about dreams. My wife says that uh, one time I dreamed, and, and in, I mean, in my dream, uh, she heard me say, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. <laughs> that's, what, that's what she said. Um, but then a little later, she said that I said, Scooby-Dooby-Doo. <laughs> so, I... I don't know. Dreams are uh, an interesting thing. I don't know how much of that stuff is true or not true or or whatever else. But this I know. God can use dreams. By the way, he he still does it today. I don't know when he does and how often he does. I can tell you some stories of things I've heard. But I'm telling you, God can use dreams to communicate a message to someone that he desires to do so. We are in Daniel chapter 2 encourage you to open your Bible. We're going to look at a couple of things today that we're getting. We started into this last week. We started into the dream last week. In the background, if you were here, we started into looking at Daniel chapter 2 and uh, this, uh, this dream that this king of the Babylonian empire, Nebuchadnezzar, had today. We're going to go a little farther into it. It's, it's kind of, some of it's kind of, you know, weird and some of it's kind of deep and some of it's kind of, because it's, it's, it's a dream, and it's prophecy, and it's all those kind of things. But uh, we're going to take our time. We're going to go so far today, and then we're going to uh, pick it up, Lord willing, next Sunday uh, as well. But we're going to start this morning with this idea, the miracle. Okay? And I know I say miracle funny. Everybody tells me, and you say miracle weird. But the miracle, dream retold. Picking it up in verse 31 of Daniel chapter 2. You with me? You hear? You awake? If this is your 10th day without sleep, you have my permission to go to sleep. Other than that, stay awake. You, O king, were looking. And behold, there was a single great statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver. Its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Father, today as we look at this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and that Daniel interprets, we ask that you would teach us. Uh, There's there's a lot in this, Father, and and prophecy um, is an important subject and it can also sometimes be a complicated subject for us. 
And I just pray that your spirit would, uh, would anoint our hearts and our minds to receive the information and make application for our lives. Thank you for this unbreakable promise that we find throughout the book of Daniel and that we're exploring some today. Teach us, uh, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you were with us last week, you know that we, we began to look at this story as it unfolds. We began to see that God gives a dream to this, this king who does not yet believe in the one true God. God gives a dream to him about the future and that God is using that for his plans and his purposes to accomplish the work that he has. Now, some people have asked, well, would a holy, righteous God use a, a heathen, pagan king to deliver his message? Would God really do that? Well, there's an old saying. I kind of like the old, the old country preacher uh, version of it that says, God can strike a mighty straight lick with a mighty crooked stick. The idea is, is that he's God. He can and he does do and use whatever of his creation that he needs to to accomplish the purposes that he has. Whether it's delivering a message, whether it's getting a person where he needs them, whether it's setting a person, whatever it is, for God to accomplish his purposes and plans, God will do whatever God has to do to do just that. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he apparently recognizes that there is some significance. This is not just some ordinary dream. We talked about last week, the the word is plural. He apparently was having this dream over some period of time over and over and over again. And Nebuchadnezzar is probably a sharp guy. He's thinking, hey, there's something about this. You know, I, I need to know what this dream means. So he calls in all the wise men, all the, uh, the uh, sorcerers, all the, the Chaldeans, as they're called, all the, uh, all the, the heads of kind of the, the smart guys in his empire. And he asks them to interpret the dream for him. But before they can interpret the dream for him, he wants them to tell him the dream. Because, like I said, he's a smart guy. And he knows that if, if he just lets them interpret the dream, they can make up anything. And how's he going to know whether that's actually what it meant or didn't mean? And so he says, I want you uh, to interpret the dream, but before you interpret the dream, you've got to tell me what the dream was. Well, that's impossible. Thereby setting up the miracle. Daniel comes in. And, we, you know, we filled in background last week about all that. But Daniel comes in. And he says, he says, let me tell you about your dream, king. In this dream, you saw a statue, a great statue. It was awesome. The word basically can mean uh, dreadful, fearful. It, it was just this, it was just, it must have been an amazing statue in his dream. And its head was made of gold and its uh, Its arms and its shoulders were made of silver. Its midsection, its torso was made of bronze. Its legs were made of iron. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about this some this morning, but also next week. And its feet were made of a combination of iron and clay. And Daniel says, and, and I'll tell you something else, king. As you were having this dream, as you continued to watch, a stone appeared. 
and the stone struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay. And the statue doesn't just come crashing down. I mean, that would be, you know, spectacular enough. But no, it, does, it doesn't just come crashing down. This, this statue of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay, this statue not only comes crashing down, but it is absolutely pulverized by the stone. So there's nothing left but dust. And it's carried off by the wind. So that as the text says there in the latter part of verse 35, there was nothing left of it. Alrighty then. So we got a statue made of five different materials, divided into five different sections. We've got a stone that grows to, as Daniel says, that's cut out of, cut out without hands. And as y'all might guess, there's some significance to that. Cut out without hands that strikes the statue and then grows to the size of a great mountain that fills the entire earth. It's quite a vision. It's quite a dream. I'm thinking about this time, Nebuchadnezzar's eyes are as big as saucers and his chin is in his chest because this Jewish prisoner of war really is what he was. This young Jewish prisoner of war has just described to him with absolute and complete accurate detail his dream. Daniel did what all of the wise men and all of the sorcerers and all of the conjurers and all the Chaldeans, what none of them could do, Daniel does. Now, as we saw last week, Daniel is very quick to give the credit to God. Daniel is very quick to say, oh, I don't think there's anything about me, O king, that caused the interpretation of this dream. This is nothing but the work of God. Thereby, watch this now, Nebuchadnezzar, who does not yet believe in this one true God, Nebuchadnezzar now knows that Daniel's God is able to rightly tell the dream, exactly right. And therefore, Nebuchadnezzar now knows that Daniel's God is able to give him the correct interpretation of the dream. That's the miracle. That the dream could be retold in the first place. And Nebuchadnezzar now knows that Daniel's, listen to me, that Daniel's God is no ordinary God. Listen to me. There are all kinds of gods in Babylon. There are all kinds of things that they worship. There are all kinds of deities and, and all this kind of stuff. But now Nebuchadnezzar knows that Daniel's God is no ordinary God. I was thinking uh, about this. And, and I, I got to thinking about that, about my own life and about y'all's lives. So I want to ask you a question. Do you know that our God is no ordinary God? Okay, now listen to me. I, I love that. Love the amens. Keep them coming. But I'm not talking about do you know it uh, just because you've read story after story of miraculous event after miraculous event and, and God's pages are replete with all of these miraculous stories. Sure, we know it from that. But do you and I know that our God is no ordinary God? Do we know it in our own actual personal lives? Have we actually experienced that in our lives? You know what I'm saying? Now listen, we could start with this, this thing we call salvation. This miraculous event that takes this hell-deserving, hell-bound, 
hellion, me, and moves me to this place to where I'm adopted into the family of God. I'm considered a child of God and all the rights and the heirs and the privileges that go with being a child of God suddenly become mine. Not because of anything that I have done, but based only on what God did for me. That's a miracle. I occasionally tell stories on myself. Sometimes maybe you'll come up here and tell some stories on yourself. Because I know where I used to be. And when I look at my life today, not that I'm a saint, you know, perfect, you know, get everything right all the time and all that stuff, right? But I know where I used to be, right? Now, uh, listen, I wasn't like uh, uh, Hell's Angel, uh, you know, axe murderer kind of guy. You, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't that. I was, I was, uh, I was pretty much mainstream. I was, I was popular, right? Chicks dug me. Men wanted to be me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. What I, was, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like, but listen, listen, listen. I, I, was, I was lost. I was separated from God because I was living my life my way. I was doing my thing. I, I was doing what I thought was best, what I felt. And God came down through events that can only, in my mind, only be described as supernatural, miraculous events. And he pulled me out of the really what was the muck and the mire of my life and my choices. And he, and he set me up and he cleaned me up and he said, now, my child, I have something planned for you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know that your God is no ordinary God in those respects? And, and on and on. I, and I know I've got to move on, but just, just in our lives, have you, have you had experiences, and some of y'all again have heard me share some of Cindy and I's experience and our family experience through the years and certain things that have happened that I thought, you know, that just, that just can't happen unless God is involved in it. Money that shows up you know, right in the nick of time and houses that sell just when they have to sell and, and doors that open just when they need to open and, and just events that occur that, that if I really, and I understand that technically you know, a, a miracle is something that kind of suspends natural law, and there's that sense of miracle. But there's always just there's also this just that idea that God can orchestrate, God can create, God can God can give dreams, God can do anything that are miraculous in nature. I don't know why I was thinking about uh, when I started working for the postal service in, in in another life earlier. I used to work for the post office, and when I was 20 years old, when I went to work for them, and when they called me in for the interview. This is the truth. I had forgotten I'd even gone to take the test. Used to take a test, and uh, and depending on where you scored, how you scored, you were placed on a roster. And they would the post office would hire people off of that roster as they went down through it, based on on how, like I said, how you scored. Well, it had been about two and a half, uh, going on three years, and, and I, I truly had just forgotten something. My friend's mom had talked us into going taking the test and all this kind of stuff. So the guy calls me, and I go in for the interview, and I, I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but I look back now, and I say, man, God is working. The guy says, he says, you know, tell you the truth. He says, I don't even know how I have your name. He said, because this roster is almost three years old. And he said, we only keep a roster two years. That two years is it. The roster is expired after two years. It's thrown out. It's out of the system, and we start a whole new system. So I really don't even know how you managed to stay on here and, and get to this. I'm like, I don't know either. But I, I think I can look back now and say, okay, I think God was working. 
I think God was placing me there so he could eventually place me here, so he could eventually place me here that would bring me to the place where, where I could surrender my life to him. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? God is no ordinary God. And let me say this to you. As a challenge, not as a guilt trip or a conviction, you know, anything like that, but just challenge. If you have not, <clears throat> excuse me, if you do not experience the miraculous in your life, now, okay, God's the one that's, God's one that decides how and when and why, and God works all that stuff out. I'm, I'm okay with that. But if you do not experience the miraculous in your life, I know it's not an everyday event. I know it does. But if you don't, if you say, I don't know, I, I don't know, I could look at my life and say, I've seen this miraculous event happen or that. It could be, it could be that you struggle with living on the edge of faith, which is where God wants us to live. It could be that you avoid those opportunities <clears throat> to live on the edge of faith where you come to this place where, whoa, if God doesn't show up and work in this, it, it ain't happening. Sorry, I know that's not good English, but... And, and I, I said this, I think, last week. This is where God is always trying to get us. He's always trying to get us to get out and live on the edge of faith. Now, there's a whole other stuff we can say about that. That doesn't mean that we climb the Empire State Building and say, well, uh, by faith, I'm going to jump off and uh, God will... Save me. That's, that's, there's a word for that. It's called stupid. That's, that's, not, that's not it. No, what I'm saying is when, if, if, when we're sensitive to the Spirit and the Spirit directs us and the Spirit will, will push us, whether it's, whether it's to share Christ with a, with a neighbor, whether it's to, to go on some uh, mission work that your church is, is, is going to be putting on, whether it's stepping out financially, whether it's uh, being willing to to try and study and learn God's word better this year, whatever it is, God's spirit begins to move us and direct us. We make choices at that point to say, all right, I'm going to go with this or, oh, that's a little too close to the edge. Let's, let's go on back over here where it's comfortable. And God may let that go on a while, but when we do that, you and I miss those opportunities that we have for God to show us that he is no ordinary God. Before we go on to interpretation, let me just say that, that in, even in this miracle, even in retelling of this dream, uh, we see again that our God is a God of miracles, that he is a God who works and moves exactly as he knows is best. And you and I can, as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did that day when they heard, oh, king's going to kill everybody because nobody can tell him his dream. We can as Daniel and, and, and his buddies did, we can go to God, listen to me, with a quiet confidence. Because I, I really, I think, I think quiet confidence is written all over that section of the text there when Daniel hears this news. To go to God and, and to say something to the effect of, Father, you are the all in all. You are the alpha and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You know the end just as well as you know the beginning. You have all power, you have all knowledge. And you know about this situation that's going on in my life. I lift it up to you. I ask for you to work in this situation as you and your absolute sovereign knowledge know is best. And by faith, I will choose to trust you to respond as you know is best. That honors God. And that sets up the situation for God to work miraculously in this world. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's get to the... To the second part. Let's get to the, to the meaning. Future unfolds. Picking it back up again in verse 36. Now, 
we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you there will arise another kingdom, inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. And then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery." In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot to chew on. Hey, but it's also really, really exciting. For those of us who have uh, placed our faith placed our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have been adopted into the family of God. For us, to read that kind of stuff is really, really exciting because it tells us something about a dream, because it tells us something about the future. God gives to Nebuchadnezzar and then to Daniel and ultimately to us a picture, a vision of the future. Don't you all like to know about the future? Now, a couple things to keep in mind. Keep in mind that when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream and when Daniel interpreted the dream, all of the image, all of the statue and the kingdoms represented in the statue as, as Daniel just read, all of them, other than, other than the head of gold, other than Nebuchadnezzar himself, who obviously was alive right then, all the rest of those kingdoms were all future for Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Right? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar lived in the 6th century B.C. All right, you with me? Come on, don't glass over. Stay with me. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar lived in the 6th century B.C. When when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, he was on his throne. Babylon ruled the, the known world at that time. But all of the rest of the statue, all the rest of the kingdoms were still future. They hadn't come to pass yet. So it was all future for them. For us, however... Living in the 21st century A.D., almost all of the kingdoms have come to pass. 
almost all of the, the imagery of the kingdoms that would come have already occurred. Now, here's why that should be exciting to you and me. Really, for a couple of reasons, but here's why that should kind of be exciting for us. Because Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which Daniel then interpreted, Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream has been absolutely spot on historically up to this point. Absolutely spot on. Now, we'll get to the specifics about the the different kingdoms and that stuff. We'll get to that in a minute. But up to this point, let me just say, Daniel and his interpretation of the dream has been absolutely accurate in what he told Nebuchadnezzar and what he ultimately told us. So, why should that matter to us? Why should it be exciting to us that Daniel's interpretation is correct historically? Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's just one more proof of the accuracy and supernatural dependability of this book. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? This book, this book that you hold, whether you have an old school hard copy, whether it's on your iPad or your, or your phone or whatever it is, this book that you hold in your hand is absolutely accurate and supernaturally dependable. Uh, my life group just started a new study uh, comparing uh, Christianity to other uh, major religions in the world, uh, looking at their, the difference between Christianity and the other major religions in the world. But one of the things that, that most of the world's major religions have in common is that most of them have some type of document, some type of book that, uh, that, it, that it claims its authority from and that it gets its, its doctrines, its teachings from, right? You, you, you with me? You know what I'm talking about? Christianity has the Bible, Islam has the Quran. Hinduism has the, the Vedas. Buddhism has the Tipitaka. Mormonism has the Book of Mormon. Seems like I could have come up with a better name than that, but those other names sounded much cooler. But they have these documents, and, and, and the authority that they have uh, for, in their belief system is based on that. So if, listen to me now, listen, this, is, this makes sense. If that document contains inaccuracies, if it contains untruths historically, geographically, scientifically, prophetically, prophesying about events that would occur, if that book contains information that is untrue or that is inaccurate, then you have a very valid reason for doubting whether you can trust that book or that document about anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is one of the ways you measure the the validity of a particular religion is by looking at its documents and seeing whether those documents actually are historically, scientific, you know, all this kind of whether they are true and accurate or not. And if they are not, then you say, whoa, well, I don't know if I can believe this or not. So when the Bible gives these prophecies, and listen, I'm, 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 mm, I'm not talking about some Nostradamus kind of vague uh, prophecy that could either mean uh, world leaders' assassination or the invention of fried onion rings. I'm not not talking about some vague... I'm I'm talking specifics here. I'm talking about specific dates, specific persons, specific places. And when the Bible gives those kind of places, and then those events and and, and uh, that information comes true and it shows to be accurate, it's like... it's, 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 Sorry. It's true. It's, it's true. What you and I hold in our hands is true. And it means that we can, 
that what we have placed our faith in for life and, and for eternity, what the Bible says about heaven and, and hell and, and what it says about the nature of God and, and, and what it says about grace and, and what it says about what gives value and meaning to life, it's all true and it can be trusted. And that's exciting. That's exciting. Because the world wanders around moving from this belief system to that belief system. The, the, the people of the world look for, for this answer or that answer or that expert or this expert. The world looks for uh, some type of place to find actual truth or contentment or happiness. And you and I have the very source of truth and contentment and happiness found recorded on the pages of God's word. And that's exciting. The other reason that, it's, it, it, that it should matter to us I've got I to wrap this thing up. The other reason that it ought to be exciting to us is that what I said a few moments ago, that almost all, almost all of the events that Daniel prophesied about have taken place, but not all of them. In fact, there are two parts of the prophecy that have not yet occurred, and they deal with the end times. Now, we're not going to get to them this week. We're not going to get to the feet of iron and clay and to the stone. We'll get to them next week. But there are two parts that have not yet been fulfilled historically speaking. And they deal with the end times. And why does that matter to us? Here's why it matters to us, ladies and gentlemen. Because if Daniel got it right about the events of the past, if he nailed it, then there's no reason to believe that he won't be right about the events of the future. And the events of the future involve us. Okay, the ancient kingdoms, you want to say, well, I didn't live then. It didn't matter. It did matter. It has affected your life whether you know it or not. But I didn't live then. Well, these are still coming, folks. And if he got it right on the others, there's a good reason to think that he's got it right about the rest of it. And that's exciting. Okay, all right, quick. We, we got to, I, I know it, it's, it's a lot at this point. You're probably feeling like you're reading this and stuff. It, it's, it's like you're trying to get a drink of water from a fire hydrant. I know. But let's, let's get real quickly to... The, uh, the first four kingdoms that are, that are part of the statue, and then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, the, the, the statue begins with the head of gold. Head of gold is the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire reigned for a relatively short period of time, 605, B.C. 605 to 539. It was followed by the Medo-Persian Empire. It's the arms and chest of silver. It ruled from B.C. 539 to 331. It was followed by the Greek Empire, which ruled from B.C. 331 to 168. It's the midsection and the thighs of bronze. And then the legs of iron represent the Roman Empire, which ruled from B.C. 168 to A.D. 476. It's historically accurate dates of those empires. Head of gold, arms and chest of silver, midsection of bronze, legs of iron. Now, at this point, let me stop real quickly. Let me stop and answer what really should be a fair question that you may be thinking. Okay, how do we know that that's true? How do we know that the kingdoms that you just listed actually were represented or or are what those different parts of the statue stand for? How do we know that? Okay, the head of gold, that's easy. Daniel tells us that that's Nebuchadnezzar. And, and not just Nebuchadnezzar, it's, it's the entire Babylonian Empire. Because the Babylonian Empire did last longer than 
simply Nebuchadnezzar who founded the empire. So that one's easy. But, but what about the silver? What about the bronze? What about the iron? How do we know that those kingdoms stand for that? Well, I'm rushing through this, and I will go back into it a little bit more next week. But the answer may be a little too simplistic for some people, but it's simply this. We know that those are the empires that Daniel is referring to because those are the only empires that could possibly fit into that dream. They're the only ones that fit in. They're the only ones that will work. Because, in fact, those four empires are the only four empires to this point in history that have ever actually ruled the world. Okay? I'm not saying there hadn't been others that have tried. Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin, maybe a few others, had, had aspirations, had ideas of world domination. But nobody has ever achieved it except these four. Now, uh, keep in mind that when I say world domination, when I throw that term around, what we're talking about is the known world of that time, where the, the, the cradle of civilization was, where, where the military might and armies, that, that was the known world at that time. The Babylonian Empire put this together. It was the first true empire that was able to do that, that would be considered world domination, so on and so forth, on down through there. So, they're the only ones that really fit. Also, keep in mind that nobody really argues about this. The, pretty much all biblical scholars, historians agree that the four empires that Daniel is referring to in his interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream are the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, and the Roman Empire. Pretty much everybody agrees about that. That's why, as a matter of fact, those that, that, that hold a lower view of, of Scripture, that, that deny the Scripture's ability to prophesy or tell future events, that's why they try and move the date of the writing of the book of Daniel from the 6th century to the 2nd century. You with me? You know what I'm talking about? Act like you do, even if you don't. That's why they try and move it, because they say, people that, that say, you know, no, Bible, they can't, can't, it can't tell the future. It can't tell about future events. So Daniel couldn't have possibly written this in the 6th century before those kingdoms came into existence. He must have written it. It must have just some guy in the 2nd century wrote it, pretended to be writing it in the 6th century, said his name was Daniel, his name could have been Harvey for all we know. We don't know. We don't know all that stuff. So he really wrote in the 2nd century, and he was looking back at those kingdoms, except for the Roman kingdom, which, empire, which hadn't really come into existence yet, but maybe it was on the, on the horizon, and he, and he took a guess. Now listen, I, and I understand uh, about textual criticism, the importance of that, and needing to study and all that kind of stuff, but let me just say real quickly, there's not a shred of textual or historical evidence to support a, late, a later writing date of the book of Daniel. The only reason that is given to deny that a man named Daniel in the 6th century wrote this book, the only reason that's given to deny that he wrote it is because he writes about things that are future. He writes about things that would require a supernatural, miraculous intervention to be able to do. But ladies and gentlemen, and, 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 and with this I close. There's so much more I could say, but with this I close. If God can't do the miraculous... If God is not supernatural, if God, in fact, does not know the future events and is kind of waiting around with the rest of us to see what happens, if that is God, then I'm not really sure what we're doing here today. But the truth is, our God is able to tell the future because he goes before it. He has established it. He has given this unbreakable promise that the events will transpire and will come to the conclusion, we're going to look at it next week, will come to the conclusion that he has already determined that it will come to. 
and that you and I can put our faith in a God who is able to do miraculous things, who is able to reveal to us truth that we can depend on for our lives and trust in because his promise truly is unbreakable. Thanks, Pastor. What a great example Daniel was. The great thing was, as Daniel and his companions stepped out in faith, they found God was right there with them. God demonstrated his power by working in a supernatural way in their lives. As you just heard Pastor Clay say, God wants to do the same thing in your life. God is looking for men and women who will live out their faith so that he can show them and the world that he is God. God has plans for our life. Discovering those plans and being used by him to make a kingdom difference, that's a life worth living. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.